the most important win that I've been involved with the football club as a player and an administrator. And they said, how can you say that? You won three flags. I said, no. We'd lost three elimination finals in a row and we're playing a team that had beaten us for fun. And they knew that and they believed that. I was almost physically sick. I remember just sitting, just thinking, if we lose this, I reckon with the the first five minutes, I just thought, God, this is, it's just on. It was an incredible night. It was a night of high emotions. Hello? everyone and a big welcome once again to At The G. I'm Anthony Hudson and in this episode it's the MCG journey of Richmond CEO and 244 game Tiger Brendan Gale. From Tasmania to Punt Road as a player where the ultimate success eluded him to the ups and downs of leading the Tigers from the top office. The third one we lost to North. It's probably as low as I've been in football. I remember being quite upset after. I just thought, God, it's going to be such an effort to get back. I remember the kids were traumatised. Monday was school. I didn't send them to school. Kids can be pretty cruel in the in the in the, in the playground. I think it took a while, while to get over that one. I think that really hurt us. Of course, Richmond has now gone on to become a powerhouse, winning three premierships. And on the eve of the 2021 season, as the club prepares to unveil two flags to its huge support base at the G. Brendan sits down to reflect on what is still an unfinished journey. Welcome, Brendan. Can you quite believe what you and the club have been able to achieve so far? No, thanks. Thanks, Hello. Footy's one of those undertakings where you don't really get the opportunity to pause and reflect too much. It just moves at a frantic pace and um, the show just goes on. So from, you know, every now and then you have a moment of reflection, you know, some holidays with a cold beer somewhere and, and it sinks in, but, you know, the competition is intense and you're only as good as really your previous game. So having said that, no, it's, you know, round one, we're really looking forward to it. I mean, one of the shortcomings last year of winning... A flag, if there is one shortcoming. But 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 you can't. We didn't get the opportunity to share it. You know, I normally have my wife, my kids, my family, our friends, staff members, members, supporters, family. Those that sort of thing we missed out. So to have the opportunity to be back back home at the G to unfurl two flags to you know fifty odd thousand fans would be very special. When you think of all that you've either achieved as a player or as an administrator at the MCG, does anything surpass trial by video? <laughs> Oh goodness, where do I start? Trial by Video was a was a sort of a footy tribute band. There was a there was a handful of footy players who could play instruments well. I wasn't one of those. I played about three chords, but were conceived on the first few years of the Channel Nine Footy Show and before the big play spectacular they used to have. We're a band put to James Manson, Alan Jakovic, Tony Woods, Paul Bullis, myself, and we played a couple of tracks. And off the back of that, 
We we got approached by a, a premier artist, which was Michael Gedinsky, sadly, um, to, to represent us um, as, if, as if we're a credible band. And we only knew one song. So um, we what, thought... What was be, the song? It was Mustang Sally. <laughs> right. By the commitments, yeah. um, and so we put together a bit of a bit of a um, song list and rehearsed. We thought it'd be a bit of fun. I think it was the off season, and um, lo and behold, we we're booked to play at the MCG for the opening ceremony, of the World Foreign Police Games. Now I can't remember what year it was. Maybe ninety four, ninety five. It was the only time those games had been held outside of uh, the United States, and we we sung six tracks. I sung one. <laughs> which was? Which is Paul Kelly to adore. Seriously, he couldn't play guitar, tried hard. And, uh, and there's probably 30,000, 40,000 there. So we played to the Southern Stand, which was full on the back of a stage. And at that stage, um, there were only four bands that played in the MCG. U2, Rolling Stones, Madonna and Trial by Video. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There you go. What was that like? To be honest, it was a bit of fun. Like it was, it was an off season. I come from a very musical family. I've got six sisters and a brother. My sisters are all gifted in their own way. My mother was a piano teacher, who always used to tell me, you know, come and have lessons. You'll regret it if you don't. And I'm just too busy playing football, and cricket, and surfing. But to this day, I do regret it because I can't read music. It was just a bit of fun. We didn't take ourselves too seriously. James remember? Manson might have, but, uh, <laughs> but certainly not me. Do you remember the, what you thought of the MCG as a kid growing up in Tassie? Did you have, did you have visions and ambitions and dreams of, of playing there? Oh, of course. Of course. Um, gr- growing up in, in Tasmania in the northwest coast, we didn't get the football, VFL football, AFL football, beamed in, you know, and free-to-air cable 24-7 like you do now. We'd get a quarter a week on the, the winners. Mm. And you'd only see four or five teams featured in any given year. The rest you probably didn't even see too much. So, so my real passion was, I guess, the local heroes of the local footy. But but grand final day and, and uh, you know, growing up as a young kid, we didn't have a colour TV, so Nana did. So we'd go to the co-load of us, we'd head down to, to Nana's, and I remember watching 74, 74 Richmond North. And I think that was probably the first game I'd see seen on a colour TV. You know, the vivid colours on that little old TV, and that was at the G and the Tigers won. But, oh, it was a... It was a coliseum as a kid growing up. And, and when I first arrived at Richmond, I used to park at Punt Road as a young kid. I worked in the city. And so I'd walk from Punt Road, you know, it's a 50-minute walk, and I'd walk through Yarra Park and just look at look at the G and just count down the days to play in round one. Well, even It was on the reserves. It was an early start, of course, but it was just incredible. So a huge wh- part of my life. Yeah. So what was that like, uh, arriving in Melbourne, arriving at, at Punt Road and... And as you said, playing at the G. Look, it was really exciting. It was like you know, drinking from a fire hose. It was just so much to take in. I remember my sort of most vivid recollections is just the size of guys. Like I was the same height, but probably twenty five kilos lighter. Yeah. So I was a beanpole. I remember seeing Philip Egan's arms doing chin ups, and even guys like Michael Pickering, who were quite lightly built, but how strong they were. And so it was just the size and strength and power, and it was exciting just to look and listen and learn and take it all in. Um, to you know, to, to play on the MCG it was a beautiful deck. Even the reserves, um, just starting off that first year was wonderful. Upon reflection, though, you know, the club was probably in a, well, it was in a bad way. Yeah. It probably didn't impact me as a young guy too much, and it must have been really hard for I guess people. I've spoken with KB a few times about it. it must have been really hard to coach for him where he'd come from. 
um, to be coaching in that sort of environment. It must have been really hard for administrators, it must have been hard for fans, for players. It was just, it must have been a pretty tough time. But as a young kid, just bright-eyed and bushy, it was just an exciting time. So I guess now that you're a CEO, you look back and probably think about those things, but they were miles from your mind at that stage. Look, they were, but I, I think though that, that experience, mate, was probably, you know, it was formative. It, it came at a, that experience came at a time when I was very impressionable, coming in and listening and learning and, and like my first year, we were shaking cans mm. to save our skin. So this is his proud, proud football club. Um, my father, I remember, I got drafted to Richmond and I was expected to join my brother, Fitzroy, who were going to pick me the, with their third pick. Richmond got him first, unbeknownst to us. And I was a bit sort of flat, to be honest, because I was looking forward to joining my brother. But, but my father said, look, at the end of the day, mate, Richmond are a great club. They've got a history of success. And if you're good enough, and that's a big if, if you're good enough, there'll be every chance you'll be successful. Now, this is 88. Because six years earlier, they'd played, played, in, grand, um, played in grand finals. So, so 99, they were shaking cans. And so I think that, that, that experience of being an impoverished club, of almost being hand-to-mouth, Starting to learn and understand the impact that had on the various people and leadership, the impact that had on competitiveness or lack of, you know, probably shaped the things that I, that I probably have did prioritise as CEO and probably continue to prioritise. Was there a graphic example of that looking back of uh, stories, stories of coaches painting rooms and all that sort of stuff? Well, I think the most graphic example is KB putting his hand in his pocket because. Really? <laughs> <laughs> what year was it? Is, is, is there a record is, of it? He was not. He's notoriously uh, tight, they reckon. Now, I didn't, according to others, but no, I mean, you know, in all seriousness, I look at a, a guy who was one of the greatest players in the history of the game, not our, just our club, but he, w- he would chip in for boxing bags and, and, and speed balls and, and cans of paint. And, and even then, as a young guy, you think, well, this is a bit odd. You know, this is so, it's a bit unusual. But they were wonderful people kept the flame flickering and, and just served selflessly and, and ensured the club got through and could fight another day. When you look back on your playing days then, what are some of your best memories of playing on the G? Um, my second game. My first game was against the Brisbane Bears in Carrara. We drove in on a bus. There was fairy floss. There was ferris wheels. It was the most un-AFL experience you could imagine. Um, the second game was a Friday night, feet north, 40 or 50,000. You know, uh, it felt like a real game. We come out, kick the first goal, north kicks, kick the next 13. <laughs> so uh, the club embarked on a, like a youth policy. So we're just going to play kids, you know, Knights and Free and Campbell. And you know, I played 22 games in my first year. You know, I probably should have played 12. You had the joint rock in your bit, didn't you, really, in the in the mid-90s? There were some, some big Friday nights where the... Tigers were threatening, weren't they? In the wards, a square goal, but with the flight of the ball, he's marked it. Fingertipper, and he's only 20 metres out. Brendan Gale, 45 degree angle, but only a 20 metre kick. No doubt about it, splits the middle for another one. His second. And what a start to the season by Brendan Gale. He's just on fire. Yeah, that was, that was probably... The first sort of taste of you know what Richmond was capable of being, you know that, that came after uh, GKB, then Jeansy, and then Johnny Northy, and John had a very simplistic game plan. He was a real old-fashioned sort of coach. You'd really want to play for him. He made us feel really close and connected, and we, pro- we probably were because those games that KB put into us were starting to pay dividends and played pretty hard, tough, competitive footy. You know, free 
Broderick, Maxfield around the midfield with some big tall, but Richo coming on. And we started to really compete. You know, 94 were probably just stiff to, you know, miss, finish ninth. But we got some big crowds, got some excitement, fans sort of got back involved and, and 95 really took off, you know, big crowds, 85 plus, went all the way to the prelim. Big semi-final against the Bombers, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. It was incredible, really. It was, um, it's funny, I learned that, that day final, so much can depend on momentum and the Bombers are playing well in the first half all over us. But when the momentum shifted, it was just just unstoppable. And I just see, I've always felt the, the most active and louder, loudest Richmond crowd is when we're coming from behind. Yep. Perhaps the same could be said from anyone. There's something that just lifts you. I remember that day, I didn't have a great day personally, but goodness me, it just lifted. It was a famous victory. But unfortunately, mate, it was a, it was a victory that was the only victory that fans had to hold on to over the next you know, 10 or 15 years. So you, you played through and what retired in 2001 and, and again you, you got to a preliminary final and, and fell short. What was your sense of your career at the time of retirement? Did you feel satisfied? You were obviously, you would have been spent, I imagine, physically. I, you know, I played with Danny for all the last couple of years. They were really enjoyable years. I mean, Danny was a, I did a bit of work at the AFL with Danny in uni holidays when he was a youth development officer, him and Gary Lyon and, and Gavin Brown, and they were... They're really great days. And so Danny was like a big brother. I was probably approaching 30, so I wasn't a young kid anymore. I wasn't a, so he was like a big brother, and, and you really wanted to play for him. And we got to a prelim. We had a famous win against Carlton the Saturday after September 11, the World Trade Centre. That was an eerie week and an eerie day. And it was a brutal game. We got over the line and, and fell short against Brisbane the next week in Brisbane. I, I didn't have any regrets. Look, at the end of the day, mate, I wasn't, I, you know, I was a solid player. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a well-beater. You know, I just tried to play hard footy for the team. I played 244 games. I played in six finals. But the club, the club was in a much, much better shape than when I started as a young fella. And for the very small part I had in that as a player, I felt sort of proud. It's like the famous Ron Evans test. You've got to leave something better than what you found it. And, you know, prelim final, club doing well, well-supported, money in the bank. I was, I was proud. And you talked about September 11. You, you had to do something at the MCG, didn't you, straight after that? What, what was that? So my last game was the 2001 preliminary final, and on the Brownlow night, you know, the next Monday, we are just having a few drinks after at the end of the night, and, and Demut- Andrew Dimitri, who was the head of footy operations, asked would I make a short speech on behalf of the AFL community as president of the Players Association, just acknowledging the incredible tragedy of the World Trade Centres and just on behalf of our code and our AFL community wishing the Americans and almost all, all the world, mm. you know, peace and love, so to speak, because it was, we just, oh. I didn't know whether it was a world war or was yeah, about, we, no one knew. So it's an anxious time, wasn't it? So I had a, a short sort of oath to, to say on behalf of the community and, um, yeah, and about the Wednesday I got the call to, which confirmed it was actually serious. <laughs> and so I got down and rehearsed and, and uh, it was something yeah, I'd sort of forgotten about. But but I was on the MCG, Anthony, on the last Saturday in September. I can say that. It just wasn't in the capacity that I might have hoped. Before we move on to your administration days, is there anything as a player from the ground that you remember, like the what the rooms were like, the smell, the atmosphere that's not there now, that the, the old version of the G, I suppose? 
Definitely, it's the old Richmond rooms. You know, you'd walk up the racing, you'd have Melbourne next year. So for playing Melbourne, there's always a bit of you know, leering and jousting. And but the Richmond rooms were wonderful. Yeah, there a lot of you know the photos of the Premiership teams and a lot of the old Tiger slogans and and that you see in footy club rooms and eat them alive, Tigers. eat them alive, all that. And they were small and um, very small and pokey. And the coach's room was tiny, but there was an intimacy and a, there was a real tradition about. It. So I, mi- I miss that. You know, they're fairly lax and who gets into the rooms. Now now they're sort of highly restricted and even more so with COVID. I mean, no one gets in. But mate, we'd walk around post-game. Guys would be in various states of undress. You'd be just wandering around doing interviews, journos. I remember my first game or two, like there'd be a, a esky of beers and a pie warmer. <laughs> so you'd have a beer and a pie, hot pie. Didn't last too long under KB. I don't think he was too enthusiastic about that. But um, but, but I love, I love uh, you know, couldn't manufacture it, but I love kicking home the last quarter of the punt road in. It was just always, uh, if you could work out that way and you're coming from behind, it was always, a, you'd have a bit of wind in your sails. Did you sense that was special and that, that the Tiger fans were a little more, whether they are or not, did you feel like they were a little more boisterous and, dare I say, feral than the others or not? Um, oh, Anthony, I would have I thought they're very enthusiastic supporters. <laughs> <laughs> um We've got some colourful ones, mate. All, all clubs have, but uh, they're, they're wonderful. And uh, and they love the MCG, mate. They love the MCG. So you joined as CEO. You Obviously, you were a trained lawyer and you'd been with the Players Association. And how did you come to being become CEO of Richmond had you wanted because you dabbled in no, the media no not at all mate no no I'm mean, in all seriousness I, I worked uh, so I left football and I and I joined the law as I was uh, I, I planned to do I was really looking forward to spending time um, away from Melbourne overseas I just got married um, but there was a particular part of the law I chose which almost lent itself to working overseas project finance and a bit of banking and stuff so you know Hong Kong or London or maybe you people, you know, set the New York bar exam, and just spending years in Melbourne, I was looking forward to getting overseas and immersing myself in another place. But I probably, after a few years, I didn't find it as fulfilling as what I've liked, and, and so I was looking at a few other opportunities within the law. And, and then Rob Kerr approached, cut a long story short, ended up at the Players Association for five years. And once again, I was really sort of it was a time of incredible growth and complexity. The game was growing financially. There's more at stake for the players, you know. Um, Doping codes, illicit drug policy, CBAs. There's a lot of stuff going on, and we were right in the middle of it. It's really exciting. But out of the blue, yeah, Gary March approached me. It wasn't long after Terry Wallace had been had been wound up, and they were putting in place a selection panel for a new new coach. And so Gary approached me, and I didn't know Gary that well, but he wanted to catch up and have a coffee. So I actually thought he might might want to ask me what I would I like to be part of this panel. They're trying to get a diverse range of people. But he said, um, he said, would you be interested in, in putting your hand up uh, for the CEO? Stephen Wright, my predecessor, had done a wonderful job, but he had a couple of health issues. Yeah. And you know, I'd never covered it, never even thought about it. Spoke about it with my wife, and I reckon at that stage the club was battling a bit. And so I just felt, I felt, we just felt it was the right thing to do. You know, it was almost from an intellectual challenge to sort of how, how can I take what I believe and, and lead in the way I'd like to, but also there's the emotional pull of a club that you were invested in as a player. And so so the, put my hand up and I went from there. So did you have that emotional 
pull. I mean, you don't always strike me as necessarily the most emotional bloke. No, it's to, funny. No, to, it's, to your footy club, did you have that? Yeah, thing? no, it's it's funny, mate. It's a good question because you see the the PA, it, it's a centrist organisation, like the AFL. You sit down and you and you work with the AFL and you negotiate a whole range of different outcomes and issues and problems on behalf of all the players. You bind the players, but you're not really in footy. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not real. You're not, and so because you're not really in footy, your focus is you know with what you're doing. That's just sort of that's the PA. You're representing all players, um, and so yeah. Look, I'd go to a few Tiger games, but young kids and you know, family and spending time with them. But but once you um, once you get back in a club, I mean, when you're playing, it's all consuming. Once you oh. get back in a club, it just grabs hold of you. And it just consumes you. Did it straight away? Well, I think. So. Oh, look, I, man, I, I reckon the first couple of years almost was going to kill me, um, because it was just. It was just so hard. We were, tr- we were trying to, you know, we are trying to reboot a club. You know, Steve and my predecessor had done a wonderful job stopping the hemorrhaging and just t- trying to stabilise the club. And we, we had to try and rebuild the club at the worst possible time in the competition's history because of the introduction to two new teams and with all the draft concessions. And so the... The teams at the top were probably it was going to preserve their hegemony almost, and the teams at the bottom were going to find a really so, you know, it was going to be really hard to find a way to compete. Um, we had no money. Trying to sell our story and build trust was really really hard. Um, you know, we we're entering the period of arms race, and money really mattered. Mm. It really mattered. We had none. What can you sell? It was really really hard, and and. And, and every win, every and we, I made a decision to sell three games away from the MCG. Would, would it be more likely Eddie had to be honest? What's it called? I'd, sorry, I can't remember. To the Cairns, and that was a purely financial decision. Um, but I remember that every game you'd think the whole world would turn on every game, and it sort of doesn't, but it sort of does. <laughs> were, were you losing sleep at that stage? Was oh, it affecting yeah. you? Oh, I think so. Yeah, because you, you take the, the responsibility, you take it very, very seriously. And so, you know, and as you become more experienced, you learn to be able to compartmentalise your life a little more. You learn, you, you, you can recognise the feelings and thoughts within you to take, you know, to make sure you keep things in balance. But, you know, we, we define success broadly. It just wasn't about wins and losses. Success was about our commercial strength and so on and this and that. And so gradually you start to get some of those runs on the board and start to build momentum. And say, look, we're not winning games, but we're on the right track. We get these right, the games will come. And we're good people too. And we're all sharing the load. So, And you famously put your plan up and super am- am- ambitious. You Everyone sort of laughed at that, scoffed at that a little bit. You'd be it. <laughs> It, was that something you'd learnt or was that something that came to you at two in the morning? Or? No, it's a bit of both. But look, at what, what, what we're undergoing was a, was a radical transformation of a, of a business. That's how I was treating it. And so there's things you need to put in place to, you know, you need a really shared understanding, you'd need a period of diagnosis and a shared understanding of what the hell's been going on. And you need, you know, shared plans and priorities sort of stuff. But you need, a, you, need, you need a sense of urgency and you need narrative. And so part of part of setting that ambitious plan was, for example, we set a we set a it wasn't all it wasn't all madness. It was a fair bit of method. So seventy five thousand members. Mm. I think we had twenty nine at the time. There were a hundred thousand people that had been members of the club in the previous ten years 
that weren't members of the club in 2009. So if we could find them and give them a reason to believe, you know, and and there's no reason why we couldn't convert them to me. So there's some science and some data, but a lot of it was about momentum and and creating a sense of urgency. And um, and at the end of the day, the, the, the club had been a very successful and strong club, both on and off the field. So there's no reason why we couldn't be again. If everyone was on the same page and aligned and focused on what we needed to do to deliver that, look, well, we got it, we sort of got it done, but gee, I'd be a liar if I said there wasn't moments where you almost lost hope or doubt, or of course we did. The first of those moments was the 2013 elimination final when Carlton came from behind to beat the Tigers. Blues champion Chris Judd was pivotal in that comeback win. and He told At The G last year that it's a memory he cherishes. Oh, that was, well, that was probably my most special Carlton memory. Um, you know, it's just a unique set of circumstances. We finished ninth, and so by rights we weren't meant to be playing finals. Obviously, Essendon had their issues that year and we ended up being in there. I'd... Um, I'd strained my medial ligament a couple of weeks before that and had been ruled out for the season, so by rights I wasn't meant to be there either. And then we were about 40 points down at half-time. So, and, and even the week before that, we, we really didn't look like we were going to win against Port Adelaide and, and won. So there were so many reasons why we weren't meant to be there. And, um, and certainly halfway through the game, it certainly looked like we weren't going to be around the following week. But we just, yeah, looked at the team dug in and, and we ended up winning the game. And that, that was really one of those moments where you could just feel the energy of the Carlton crowd just, just going right through you. And it does start to feel that the connection between the crowd and, and you as a player is just incredibly close. It's almost, you really do feel that energy surge through your veins. I reckon less so in a grand final, as noisy as they are. But in those games, you know, particularly if they're against a big rival and it's close, um, the roar just, it, it sort of goes right through your body and, um, and you can't help but be energised by it. And I remember the deafening noise, um, deafening, when the team ran out. I was actually with Mick, no, no, sorry, bumped into Mick Mulders a few days later and uh, they, they won, of course, but, but he said it's the loudest he's heard a crowd. Anyway, it, was, it was just deafening and, and we just, look, we got ourselves in a position to know to win. So you, you weren't too downcast? In the no, oh, look, I was devastated. Our, our finals record against Carlton is incredible. I mean, it's two evenly matched sides historically, and Carlton have won 16 flags, but our finals record is quite incredible. Like, it's so one-sided in Richmond's favour. It was a real eye-opener to me. So I think we were playing the better footy. I think we went in with a better... I just... We had every confidence that we could win it, and half-time that would have confirmed that. And just the way we lost, you know, was just... But, you know, we've made the finals. It's, that's a box tick. Well, next year, you know, we're, we're three and ten. And, you know, same old Richmond, here we go, but we won ten in a row to make the finals. And that was really important because we'd never made successive finals since 74, 75. Um, but I think the third one, the third one we lost to North. It's, it's probably as low as I've been in football. It was a Sunday, huge crowd again. When they had that dead rubber in round 22, remember oh, yeah, they rest yes. all their players yep. and, and, you know, they probably got us in the second half. And I remember just, 
you know, being, I remember being quite upset after. I just thought, God, it's going to be such an effort to get back. How do we find improvement? Where does it come from? I remember the kids were traumatised. Monday was school. I didn't send them to school. Kids, 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 kids can be pretty cruel in the in the in the, in the playground. I think it took a while, while to get over that one. I think that really hurt us, our psyche collectively, and that sort of went into sixteen, three in a row, three yeah. elimination finals in a row. Um, Did you, were you starting to think that it mightn't happen? No, because I think I think when we sifted through all the data and 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 you know, look, sixteen, sixteen wasn't great. We had a real big deep dive into everything, and um, and there were some things we weren't doing well. But that process, they call it a review. We we kept trying to invent words that anything other than review. <laughs> the right. media just jump on review. You know, we just. I think we had one called the performance assessment project, the PEP. <laughs> anything but a review. But what that confirmed or affirmed was we're doing a lot right. So we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So there was a belief, and I'm not just saying that now to be a smart alley, but I thought Damien was a really good coach. I thought he had all the attributes, no guarantees. I thought we had a good group of players, but we had some, we had some things going for us and, uh, and were able to turn things around in history. But I felt that 16-year was more of an aberration. In the end, it was a gift. It was an incredible gift um, for us to... Sometimes it's not until the tide really goes out that you see the pebbles and the rocks. And, and, uh, and the tide went out that year, but we thought it was an aberration and we were able to respond. Did you ever get close in your mind to thinking that Damien should have ended or you were always...? Never. Never had I. And it's funny, through that period, you know, our role you know, as a board, my role as a CEO is almost being portrayed as heroic. You know, this, it's almost like, oh, you know, all the pressure and the people calling... I could honestly say through that period there was not one word discussed not about Damien's tenure as a coach. I mean, there, we felt the coaching was was just one part of an entire program. There were some other parts of the program that needed to address. He'd been a good coach, three finals in a row. We needed to redirect focus in a few other areas, but he was always the coach. And so there was no, there was no internal pressure to do it, just... It wasn't an issue. We just had to keep supporting him and make sure he knew that that's how he felt. Because sometimes you can just listen to the outside noise. A lot's been written about, books even been written about the, the turnaround in the club. For you, where did it start? Well, the first thing is, Hado, the thing that gets overlooked. Because a lot's been talked about and discussed about the, the culture. What's been overlooked is that Damien fundamentally overwhelmed and transformed our game plan. We played a completely different way. That was taught and reinforced with Damon and his coaches in probably three or four months. That's a huge... You know, we played a completely different way. And so he, he had the, I guess, the courage. It's under pressure sometimes we all can bunker down and become more stoic in our beliefs. He had the courage to step back to reflect, to renew, to reset. So the number one was a game plan. I remember, I think it was about February, watching our first NAB Cup game against Port down at Mount Gambia. And I thought, my God, this is, this is a complete overhaul. That we're onto something, so there was that. But but also, I think I think we were redefined the way we develop leadership in people. And you know, for so long, being you know, leaders about you know leading from the you think leading from the front and just putting your head down and working hard and just getting footy. And but leadership is about having followers. You're not a leader without followers. And followers having followers is about you know having trust 
develop trust, you've got to build connection. You've got to invest time and effort and yourself in each other, you know, and good, honest conversations, good, honest, authentic connection. Whereas footy clubs, you know, we've had, and, and probably part of my time, I guys that wear masks, you know, they walk in and trying to be something they're not to fit in or belong. And I guess we try to strip all that back and say, you know, you, young fella, Shay Bolton, you come from Perth and you've got some incredible attributes. We're just going to coach to those because you're enough. Everything else is, so we're not going to coach to deficit. And so I think it's, it's, it's a style of leadership that's it's something we try and develop and, and not just our players but our coaches, um, which underpins, I guess, the culture. It's about connection, it's about trust, and trust is ultimately the base of the teams. Um, now, I can't think of one moment when no, that happened in one conversation, okay. but it was an evolution. Yeah. When in 2017, when was the moment on the field? Now, I can identify a moment uh, because we started well. We saw the change in the game plan. We saw their compliance on field and were defending really well. We were getting you know, lots of repeating. We weren't scoring. That came a bit later. So they were getting – the performances were improving on the field, but when they had, we had three games in a row where we lost the last kick of the day. Like it was just Richmond – Classic Richard <laughs> Torment. It's like the Torment. They've done it to us again. This false hope, and they've just said, "I'm. They've done it to us again." And and but I thought this is going to be, you know, this will be a real test, and uh, it'll be a test to see how strong and resolute we are about a game panel, but also about some of the other cultural elements. And uh, I was at the Sydney one. It was the third one we lost. You know, the, the Shea Bolton was disallowed a goal, and then the one over the top, and it was just like I could not. I remember almost floating That's down in the changing, right. but I remember seeing his approach with the players after that game, and the focus on growth and the growth mindset. And I remember talking with Barmy, and Barmy who said he was almost moved to tears. I remember just saying, "I think we're on the right track here." And then we finally got one. And then the, the finals, you you went down, you lost to Geelong, I think, in yeah. the last at the end of the home and away season, yeah. and then so Geelong were notionally the the home team for that first final, but oh, what a night that was! Well, it's it's you know I was talking with someone the other day. Um, it's you know the, the most important win that I've been involved with the football club as a uh, as a player and an administrator. And they said, well, "How can you say that? You won three fleets." I said, "No, we'd lost three elimination finals in a row. You know, we'd we'd tapped out in sixteen. We'd found a way to get ourselves back, and we're playing a team that had beaten us for fun, like for years." Just for fun, they just turn up, and they knew that, and they believe that. And I remember having some chats with some people at associations with Geelong and different. And I sensed that they just felt we were really, really disappointing down at Geelong. They were disappointed that game. I mean, Geelong had half their team out that game, and we were, we were favourites, but we couldn't get it done. And once again, we learnt out of the game. We learnt two or three really important things, which we. Took. But anyway, that game against Geelong, I was. It's just, I was almost physically sick. I remember just sitting, just thinking, if we lose this, just imagine, you know, the pressure on the club, blah, 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 everyone. And I reckon with the, with the first five minutes, I just thought, God, this is, it's just on. You know, it's just a, this, like a stamp had been. I remember some of Cotchen's efforts early. It was an incredible night. It was a night of high emotions. Hello? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that's a 50-50, maybe, Stuart V. Martin. Dusty. Oh, Dusty. That is away, burst down the wing, kicks to half forward, Revolt did well, gives it a skid, have a look at this, what a goal, Martin to Revolt, that to 
driving back home um, and uh, getting home and there's uh, getting the dogs, getting two, two bottles, two stubbies, <laughs> about one in the morning. And there's some gardens just around the corner from me and walking the dogs and just letting them go and just having a drink. Like a, with a big coat, like I was a hobo or something. But they were the two of the most uh, comforting, relieving beers I've had in my life, I reckon. But it was, uh, but it was the way we won that. That, f- that I felt, gee, we could, for the first time we could win this because what it meant, we are going to play an interstate preliminary finalist at MCG, which is the Giants. Yeah. Who, who were you sitting with that night, can you remember? Uh, I would have been sitting with uh, well, Peggy. I always tend to sit next to Peggy. Yeah. In 49, back row, seats one and two, um, plenty, plenty of leg room. And, uh, so I would have been with Peggy and uh, Jane. I just get sick of my wife, and she's got to go inside. I can't. She, she gets sick of me more, uh, more to the point. But no, it was a, uh, it was an incredible night. It was a, uh, it was a night of high emotions. That's all I'll say. It's uh, a lot of catharsis in that one for the, for the Tiger supporters. <laughs> no, well, what was the Giants then? Because it was a twilight game, wasn't it? Twilight preliminary. Yeah. Part of this is about the sense of the G, and you guys being so close. What was it like? Well, mate, that was that was probably the most. You know, I've had some great. You know, the Geelong was the most important match. You know, I've had some other highlights, some milestones, but that would be the most extraordinary match I've ever been involved with. Because, by our estimation, I think there are about two thousand two hundred giant supporters. I mean, because we 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 were sending the members mm. ticket allocation because same seats set aside for competing clubs. And if one club doesn't draw down on them, that's released to the other club. And so, the, so I think poor old Dave Matthews is, you know, his folks and <laughs> the see <laughs> the Giants. I think they come along to make up numbers. There might have been a few more, but it was, but they're a good side. Um, they're a good side, and uh, and their talent, you know, just had so much talent. That I thought they could just withstand that the crowd and just turn up and play. Such you know, just such a talented group. But to open up like we did, like two goals in two minutes, that was deafening. I remember Craig Hutchison was sitting about two or three rows in front of me when I think it was um, um, Caddy kicked the second goal. He's just turned around and just like, my God, I, just, I didn't know what had happened. Like two goals in a minute, the crowd was just... But I, I tell you what, they, they steadied and you know, they steadied and they got themselves back on the game and, um, and I wasn't wheeling to the last quarter. We sort of knocked them over. Grand final day. The whole experience, could you believe you were there? Uh, I was okay. I just wanted to um, just get to the ground and um, look, you know, because at the end of the day you've got, you know, family and kids and mum and uh, there's a lot of worrying around and things you don't want to waste energy on. So once you get to the ground, that's you dispense with all that. But I got to um, I got to uh, Punt Road and I just parked and um, everything's all secure and, but overnight, they'd bumped into at a punt road live site with 16,000 members. So they'd bumped everything in, all the staging. And I looked out my window, and that's the first occasion we just felt like really real. Like, this is where, if we win, we're going to come back to and celebrate, or we're going to lose. And I got actually really emotional. I was, I was a bit on edge. I got a bit teary, you know, just like, God, I can't believe it. And James, you know, pull yourself together. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> So, so remember. So, what time of the day was that then? Sort of. Oh, look, I would have got. Well, the function starts at probably eleven thirty, so it's probably eleven in the morning. Yeah. I just want to get there a little early and just, you know, run my eye over the place and 
and then we just wandered over. And um, look, I think you're, you know, you're proud. You know, you're proud to showcase your club. Um, you're proud that, to give your fans and members an experience. You know, for them to be proud. You love the open training and the parade the day before was extraordinary. Um, so just to see that Damien Hardwick used to say because he had some experience. He said that you know, preliminary final week is the hardest week of footy because uh, it's just so fierce. But if you win, you're in a grand final. It's just the best. Because like you're going to play, you're going to win, you're going to lose. You desperately want to win, but you may not. But your fans get to play a part. And so it was just, yeah, it was just, you know, I was proud and well wishes and, yeah, and, and I, mate, I felt, I felt pretty confident. I remember mm. thinking, gee, we'd learn it. Damien learns a lot from his losses, and we've got this history in the last few years. Whenever we lose to a team in the first round, we always bounce back. We lost to Adelaide, and we changed a couple of things fundamentally about the way we set up at stoppage. We served us well. So I think if you if you took the last eight rounds of that year, seventeen, I think we're about four points clear on top with about and ten percent. So we're playing well, we're playing Adelaide on the MCG on our home deck. I thought. This is going to be a lot closer than what people are probably tipping. Because mm. Adelaide were favourites, weren't they? They were favourites. Yeah, they were favourites. And they played, They were scintillating against, I think it was Geelong. It was, yeah. The week before. Whereas, you know, we had to fight really hard to beat the Giants. What were your emotions like and when did you, you feel like you were home and that realisation sink in? Oh, look, I just... I mean, I, I'm pretty composed. I watch... I look at the, I'm, not the, I'm the duck, you know, smooth above water, but there's just the inner turmoil Angston, and I felt um, when I saw Nick Vloston fumble and Betts kick a goal in the first quarter, I, I just had one of those moments where I thought, oh dear, because I've never seen Vloston fumble. He's as clean as they come. He bounced back really well. I felt just before half-time, probably you know, 15 minute mark, it looked like a Richmond game. I thought the game was on our terms. We just weren't scoring. So there's a good feeling at half-time, and then we kicked away, but... So three-quarter time, we're probably 30, you know, 20, 30 points up, but they, they could score quickly. Um, and uh, and so in, and you train yourself to stay in the moment, not too far ahead, but when when I told myself internally that we'd won, I just felt myself that we've won, we can't lose. That was, I remember, that was a very emotional time. It was just a release. It's catharsis, relief, all of that. It was, I think it was a butler snapped a goal or something, kicked a banana. I mean, we're 44. Points clear, but yeah. that was the moment when I told myself, "We've won, we've won." So, the only disappointing part of that is, at that moment, my my family wasn't there. They were sitting the level above, up in queue, and Jane had gone to get them. Um, they come a bit later, but um, it would have been nice to have actually shared that exact moment with all of them. Benny Gale there with Peggy O'Neill. They stood firm behind this bloke and their team about this time last year when everything was hitting the fan. They ignored the external noise, didn't they, Bruce? Yep. They ignored the noise, knew they had the right coach, gave him some support, and they've nailed it. These two won't be long before tears flow with those two, I would have thought. I think they're starting to well up a little bit there. Right foot banana, it's there. It's there from the boundary line. Look at the Tigers come from everywhere.
just went downstairs, went onto the ground. Um, you know, Peggy and I and a couple of directors, you know, it's just pandemonium. Uh, went down to the rooms after the game, you know, just got around everyone, a few speeches and a little bit of carry on. I mean, the boys went out and, you know, Jack did his thing with the killers and all that sort of stuff. But I. But I you wouldn't have been jealous when you were. Former MCG entertainer. Was it, in fact, that's it. I've got a beautiful frame photo of Jack and. Brandon Flowers on the stage, yep. a beautiful frame photo um, as a gift from Michael Ganesi and the Mushroom Group. Wow! This moment, I thought, well, it's, it was a global win. It was incredible. Only Jack could do it, <laughs> but he pulled it off. Yeah. But now I, I said to my mother and family and sisters, and I said, look, just make your way back to my office. Security there. Win, lose, a draw. I won't sue you after the game. You just go back. We'll meet there. And so, probably an hour after the game, I was able to go back there, and we just sat and. Had a few nice bottles of wine and probably two hours just with each other. We had a, a function at Crown. I was home by 11. Wow. Exhausted. Yeah. Was there a sense of achievement there or just exhaustion at that stage? I think there was probably just a sense of, no, it was just like, wow. It was like, God, what do we do now? What do we do? And then the family day the next day was incredible. I mean, we're really... You know, I mean, I, I, I think about the things that would sustain the club through a really low period. And, uh, you know, I just think, you know, one was the MSUG um, as a home ground and the access and the broad-based support that enables, continues to enable, it continues to, to do so. The other one's just the location of Punt Road, right in the shadows of the G, right next to Richmond Station, visible, accessible, greatest sporting precinct in the world is right there. Um, and so to have 16,000 on grand final day and have about 26,000 the next day, I mean, it's, it's just re- was remarkable. It was remarkable. Sets it up. Cox again. I cannot believe it. Can he guide it through? Yes, he can. Three of the very best. You've got to go back to Billy Graham at the MCG for an American to dominate like this. The crowd is chanting USA as well. Oh. <laughs> to, to jump ahead to 18 and the, the contrast, I guess, when Mason Cox in the preliminary final, what was that yeah. like? Oh, gee, mate, it was um, my first... Selfish sort of instinct was was I just I was I thought it was humiliating. I just felt humiliated. <laughs> How you know it's it's such a strong year and um, and to go out like that, um, we you know we're well below our best. But the more I thought about it, they were outstanding. They were outstanding. They just got us at the right time. And um, but I remember I spoke to the guys after. In fact, the whole club in the rooms after, and I actually went down that ten minute mark of the last quarter. I said to Peggy, "I said, look, I need to leave. I just need to compose and just think, gather my thoughts." So I just sat in the rooms by myself. Didn't see the last bit, and um, so we just we just got got everyone together, and I said, "Look, at the end of the day, you know, we were really, you know, we were disappointing. We've got to be accountable for that, but I can't hide my pride. At the end of the day, we won a premiership last year. We defended it in the best possible way." We went all the way to a prelim, and it's really hard to get to a prelim. 
And we were beaten by a side who played much, much better than us tonight. And that's football. So did you feel the need to sort of lead there and, and be? I just, I think, I think so. I just, I think we needed to put a full stop on it and just say, look, at the end of the day, um, footy's a journey. It's never, and, and you know, it's a big lesson. A lot of things we learn out of that loss in terms of our preparations and other things that, that happened that week. Um, but we, we we had a great year. Um, you know, teams can rise and fall. And we didn't. We we sustained a level of performance, and for that, you know, we, you should be really, really proud. And come back next year, ready to atone. And you did. Yeah, we did. We did. Did, did you need to? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think so because I think the group had had it in them, and you know, we've got a, we've got a great coach. We've got a system of footy that sort of stands up in September. Got some good players and. Uh, I just felt, you know, that it's it's just so competitive, you know. And, and when you when the sun shines on you, you just gotta you gotta take your chances. And I thought thought it was our moment, and but we did it another way. It was a really tough year, yeah. you know. We're seven and six at the break, and we had players out, and um, but we just built momentum and at the right time again, and uh, and got the Giants and won a different way. It's a, it's a strange way to win, isn't it? Pretty, pretty, pretty relaxing day, actually. <laughs> yeah. Without being disrespect, disrespectful, I mean, they they were below their best. They yeah. had players out. Yeah. They'd had a huge game the, the week before. I'll be honest, mate, I thought we'd be playing Collingwood. And I just thought, wow, that's just going to be stuff of folklore. Richmond v Collingwood, traditional rivals in a city... Suburban rivalry is just going to be off the Richter. Yes. And then at halftime, they're getting belted. And then we start to think, wow, we'll be able to get all those members in and be <laughs> <laughs> more tickets. So, and then they started playing really well. I'm like, geez, I think one Collingwood back. But, uh, but no, it was, uh, they, were, they were below their best. Um, huge effort to get there, but um, we were pretty ruthless that day. And Jack, no, yes, he does. Five goals for Jack in the grand final. No doubt about it. Dimmer, Dusty, Koch and Co. join the all-time greats of Richmond. And it really is time to paint the town yellow and black today. They have been extraordinary. An 89-point victory in front of 100,014 people. And then, of course, you, you won again in the most bizarre year of, of footy, um, which, you know, started at the, at the G, but didn't finish there. No, it was a bizarre year. It was, un, it was an incredibly difficult year. Um, you know, I mean, people in Victoria had incredible challenges. Um, but we, we did two. I mean, I spent 97 days there. Um, Went for seven, stayed for 97. I had a period down here where I guess I got a full appreciation for the importance of football as a sort of social, cultural institution. I got that perspective as a fan. I mean, when they had the compressed fixture, it was like, God, who's playing tonight? Yeah. Just, so then I, then I went back up. So it was, um, yeah, as the, as, the, as the season progressed, you know, we're, we're an experienced sort of battle-hardened outfit. I reckon we sort of got it. Where some teams are starting to struggle, we sort of 
we were uh, we were able to get better, and I, I just thought it was fitting, you know, perhaps for the for the AFL community and for the AFL competition that two Victorian teams did make us, because had they not have, I just felt there might have always been question marks. Had maybe Brisbane have won, yeah. But when you get two teams who are equally disadvantaged, it's fairer. Now, granted, it wasn't the MCG, but I thought it was an incredible contest. Um, God had everything, and to be twenty-one points down. Once again, it was incredible, and um, we've got a few people to thank for that, <laughs> not, not least Dustin Martin. So the key to being a good good CEO <laughs> is to recruit Dustin Martin. Players basically. make good CEOs. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're fingers crossed. We're we're back to the G. And does, are you excited? What's what's your feeling about? Oh it? yeah, no, definitely excited because you know once again, I think we're involved in footy to generate pride. You want know, you want your supporters to you know you can't always win, but you want them to be proud. And for them to sort of be involved in our club and be, and be proud and turn up and, and support, it's going to be wonderful. It's just, it's a very different game with our people, right? So to, to come back home and um, it'll be historic for us. So it'll be great and, and no, I can't wait. What do you like when the game's on? I know you talked about being fairly calm. Do you, do you shout? No, I'm not. At all? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, uh, I got, I've probably got a bit more animated than I thought in the grand final, but now I'm pretty, I'm pretty calm. I'm, uh, I don't get too animated. I, I don't like talking. I don't like small talk. I don't. I'm pretty antisocial. <laughs> sometimes, you know, in, in your role, you host corporate representatives, politicians, and I, I, I do apologise in advance to say, look, I just gotta be honest. I'm not great company. My wife is. She loves a chat. <laughs> yeah, she does. She, she loves a chat, um, and she's a great yeah. asset in that regard. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm just very much focused on the footy. Do you sneak a little little uh, sip on the side to keep you calm? Or? No, I, I don't. I just I don't think it's the right thing to do. And but I have been known to on big games when I'm a little on edge to slip into the um, the uh, Olympic room um, cloak room, <laughs> just have a quick uh, quick beer just to take the edge off. But uh, no, generally not. Certainly not out outside. But uh, I always enjoy a beer after a win, mate. The dogs are barking. Must be. Time to wind up. Brendan, you've been very generous with your time. Hopefully that's not an omen, mate, those dogs. <laughs> it might be. Thanks for joining us, mate. Really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to more great times at the G. Pleasure, mate. Absolutely. That's the plan anyway. Well, I hope you enjoyed our chat with Richmond CEO, Brendan Gale. What a journey it's been for Tiger fans. And by the sound of it, they aren't done yet. A big thanks to AFL Digital for the use of all the fantastic audio bringing you the sounds of the big games from the G. What a season 2021 should be. It's just great to be back at the footy. Stay tuned for more stories from our wonderful ground from over the years. In the meantime, we'll see you soon at the G.